What's happening? Welcome to Wong Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wong. Today on the show, it's a solo venture. I put out a little tingy on my Instagram, the Wong Notes Podcast Instagram, saying, come at me with your questions. We're doing a Q&A. I get a lot of the same questions from people online. I would say probably 60 to 70% of the questions I get are all loosely in the same realm. So I'm going to answer many of those today. Where am I today? Boston. I just played a festival with Wolfpack, Levitate Festival. It was our first show in almost three years. It's really fun. Because with Wolfpack, we don't play a ton of shows. So every time we play, it feels like a reunion. (laughs) It like has this special energy to it, both on and off stage, that is really... I guess for lack of better terms, it's very precious, it's very special. And today is a travel day, and tomorrow I play a doubleheader just outside of Amsterdam, in Rotterdam, at North Sea Jazz Fest. Doubleheader with Corey Wong and Fearless Flyers. Stoked! About to hit this Europe tour. It's gonna be incredible. A lot of travel, though. Travel kinda sucks right now. A lot of airlines losing bags, losing flights. It's a roll of the dice but I'm rolling them out there. All right, today's episode, it's Q&A. Let's hit it. Hey, you guys know about DistroKid yet? If you are an artist, musician, somebody who's trying to get your music on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things, DistroKid is a digital distributor that can get your music on all of those platforms. It's the easiest, fastest way to do so, with accounts even just starting at $19.99 a year per artist. So for me, I have several albums out. I just pay one amount for the year. For all the Corey Wong albums, I just pay one amount, and DistroKid takes 0% royalty. 100% of the royalties come straight to me. Or you use their Teams feature where you can dedicate a certain percentage to one member of your band, a certain percentage to the other, or one of your collaborators. I do this sort of thing. It works amazing. DistroKid is who I use for my albums and it has worked great for me. The stuff gets up there fast. They have a smart ISRC thing. I don't have to worry about coming up with my own codes, registering a lot of the stuff. They just have that. And they also have these really cool design tools. If you are not very design savvy, they'll help you come up with assets for social media and other things to help promote your album. And if you want to use them, you can use my VIP code. Just go distrokid.com slash VIP slash Corey Wong and you get 30% off. How about that? Check them out, DistroKid. All right, let's hit this episode. All right, this first question, like I alluded to with the Wolfpack not playing a lot, this this question I get asked to all the time. How do you prepare when you play with Wolfpack or Fearless Flyers or Corey Wong before your tours? Like, do you have to practice your own songs? And the answer is yes. With Wolfpack, this was our first show in almost three years. And same with Fearless Flyers. My process is different than everybody's. Everybody's is fine. Do whatever you want. We have kind of a list of songs where like, yeah, we're probably going to pull from these. Jack sent a list of songs. He sent a a Spotify playlist and said, here's the tunes that we're going to do at the festival. I looked at all those, ran them down. Okay, great. But then also what I like to do is play through the entire catalog. It might sound a little overkill, but... I will play through the entire catalog a couple times because it helps me to re-familiarize myself in the event that there's an audible called either before the gig or during the gig that I'm not panicking like, oh, how did this go? Just exactly what happened. 
The tunes Beastly and Outro were not on the initial set list, but we realized, hey, we need a couple extra tunes potentially. So we added those two. We didn't play Outro, but as soon as Jack said, hey, let's add these, great. I've already, I've worked on them. I'm set. But I will typically run through the entire set list several times and not just in one day, like a couple weeks out, I'll start listening. Like, you know, if I'm working out, I will throw the set list on and I'll listen through and I'll pay attention to forms, parts, like just, just kind of remember what are my parts in each section and what is the form of the tunes. Then I'll sit down and play all the way through. And from there, I just kind of figure out what are my pressure points in the set? This goes for Fearless Flyers, Corey Wong, Wolfpack, all of these. What's the pressure points in the set as far as what am I not remembering? Like what goes against my instincts and why is it hard for me to memorize this or whatever? So those things, I will focus more on those, play those more, listen to those more. For whatever reason, this time around, it was Radio Shack. That's a tune that everybody, for whatever reason, had to shed more because we literally played it once in a studio in Denver and then once in a studio in a shed in our friend's backyard. And that's what ended up on the Joy of Music album and the Wong's Cafe albums. So I just pay attention to my pressure points, really focus on those. And I run stuff a lot because in the moment, I don't want to feel like I get lost in in the energy of the show. I want to make sure that the playing is absolutely, the, the memorization, the focus is absolutely there. Okay, next question is from Lloyd Snyder. How do you balance writing, recording, performing, touring, podcasting, and family? One of the more common questions I get, that's a tough one. I am doing a lot right now, and it's kind of under the assumption that it's not always going to be this busy. And that's the promise I have made to myself and my family. And I think there is some validity to strike while the iron is hot. As far as the professional side of things, I balance things with a very good to-do list that's short-term, medium-term, and long-term, and a list of goals and whatever. And I manage a to-do list that, and also, you know, it's just... Yeah, I have, here's things that have to get done today, have to get done this week, have to get done in the next month, have to get done in the next year. And then I prioritize from there. As far as being on the road, I also do a lot of other work while I'm on the road. Like it, it's hard to do, it's hard to find the focus, hard to find the energy, but I don't watch movies on airplanes. I don't, whatever. Yeah, I don't play games on airplanes. I'm on airplanes all the time. I work while I'm on the planes. I pay for the go-go in-flight internet yearly package. It sucks, but I do it. The internet's slow, but I get things done. So that's kind of, it's also, I, I get a lot of work done while I'm on tour as well. Podcasting, honestly, doesn't take me a ton of time. I do a couple hours of research per guest and the interview, I mean, you hear it, it's basically unedited and then we just upload it. So that's that. Family time, I try to balance that when I'm home to really be present and really be with my family. Million Marcus asks, why do you use mics live rather than a load box or IR? Well, typically I'll backline amps because 
in, unless I'm on my own tour. Like right now, it's festival season. I'm traveling a lot. I'm flying places. I'm not bringing my own amps. So I will just use, I'll backline kind of any, typically every backline company will have Fender Twins, Supers. I can count on those. There's other amps that I might rather have, but I can't always count on them being there. So the consistency of a Twin or a Super Reverb is just kind of what's been on my backline list. As far as, I've never found a load box that I've liked. I've just never had one that I've thought, oh, I love the tone of that. As far as IRs go, as soon as I can get my actual archetype Corey Wong plugin in the Quad Cortex, I will use that. But right now, I don't want to set up my laptop and my interface and do that. It's just easier to plug right into an amp for the time being. Isaac Ferraro asks, do you use backing tracks and click tracks live? Backing tracks, no. Click tracks, sometimes. If we're on in-ears, I will use a click track. Like this last tour, that I, my last US tour, we were on in-ears and we were on a click for pretty much every tune. And it's not because I need it to feel robotic. It's not because I need it to feel like it's this authoritarian presence, but it's more like playing, it, to me, the click track is like bumper bowling. A professional bowler doesn't need the bumpers, but it's sometimes, it's be like, I don't know, they're just kind of there to make sure that I stay inside the lane or whatever. That's how I look at it. User Hunterland Trip, Hunterland Trip, Hunter Ian Trip. I can't tell if that's a capital I or an L, whatever. Asks, any advice for the intermediate guitarist who just plays the same Stoif every time? My advice is listen to other styles of music than you normally listen to. Listen to different types of guitar music, listen to non-guitar music and try to emulate those other instruments on yours. Try to actually learn note for note the parts of some of your favorite songs. Because a lot of times people, especially intermediate beginner players, kind of learn the parts for a song, but they don't learn 100% the thing. Do that. But most importantly, listen to other styles of music listen to other instruments that are not just guitar and try to try to mimic those. That's my best piece of advice for that. Great question from Justin Bennett, 87. How do you keep music fun for yourself as a musician? For me, I get asked to do a lot of things. I am at a very fortunate and, yeah, I'm, I'm at a very fortunate point in my career where I am having to turn down more work than I'm taking. It is not lost on me. That's not for. That's not what it is for every person. And it has not always been like that for me. I have been starving for work in the past. And now I have an abundance of opportunities, which is amazing. And it's not lost on me. I'm very grateful for it. The thing that I do is I only say yes to the things that sound really fun to me. Some things that sound really fun to me and I have to turn them down because of logistics or timing or whatever. But- how do I keep it fun for myself? I surround myself with musicians that I like to be around. I surround myself with a team of people that I love to be around. And if I don't like to be around people, I I just try to avoid that. Or, you know, in a lot of cases, if I'm the boss, I get to decide who's around. And I, I try to pick people around to, to be on the team that are fun and that help me to have fun. Hope that answers your question. But I'll, I'll, you know what, also on stage, I'm playing music that I have a blast playing. 
I think some people play repertoire that's not fun to them. To me, the stuff that I'm playing is really fun, so that makes it a little bit easier as well. Most of what I'm doing right now is all original music and some other stuff that I've co-written, some stuff. I mean, I do also sometimes play with other artists, but I think it's fun because I have a balance of my own thing and playing for other people. Nate C. Lucier, L-U-S-S-I-E-R. Looks, is that French? Asks, can your right-hand technique be transferred from electric to acoustic? That's a yes or no question. The answer is yes, it can. Should I elaborate? Yeah, I'll elaborate a little bit. Just do it on the acoustic guitar. The only thing you have to consider a little more is muting. And the only other thing you have to consider is that the strings on an acoustic guitar are typically thicker and will chunk, chunk, chunk a lot more on your chukkas. So you have to have a little bit of a lighter touch or in a lot of cases, just play with a little bit of a lighter pick. So I play with a little bit of a lighter pick when I go to acoustic if I'm doing my thing, but I'm also much more aware of the fact that my chukkas are very much, they, they resonate more on an acoustic guitar. Ooh, great question here from Cooperette. What do you practice with no gig on the horizon? And how do you manage burnout? I'm gonna ask, answer the last one first because it has to do with the, the two questions ago with, with the fun thing. I manage burnout by only saying yes to things that are going to be fun. For me, I have a blast doing what I do. The only bummer is all the woes of travel and dealing with the stress of logistics and that sort of thing. What I practice with no gig on the horizon, I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of learning and studying and just kind of what, I, I pay attention to what's inspiring me at the moment and I try to pay attention to why it's inspiring me. And then the other things that I like to practice is just maintenance. So there's a lot of chops maintenance. Like for me, it's similar to like, in the off season of a basketball player, they're still gonna be working out a lot. They're still gonna be practicing their technical skills. And that's something that I really, really focus on and need to make sure that I don't lose my technical facility or my chops. And in most cases, I'm actually trying to build them and yeah, develop more chops, but also develop my, my recall of inspiration. So with no gigs on the horizon, I'm always looking for inspiration and trying to find how to harness that and bottle that up. Hope that answers your question. All right, Police Box 63, what's happening? How was it being a part of Knower for a night? Well, I played at the Ottawa Jazz Festival. Both of us, Lewis Cole and I, were both playing at the Ottawa Jazz Fest. And there was a hotel across the street that I was staying at. This is a note for all Festival promoters, just put the bands up. I, I think festivals should just take it upon themselves. Hey, we're gonna put you up at a hotel. The bands would be like, great, I don't have to pay for a hotel that night. But if the, ho if the, the festival just said, we're gonna put you up at this hotel, guess what ends up happening? The musicians all end up seeing each other in the lobby, maybe the lobby bar. Maybe you have a little setup at the lobby bar with some instruments pretty much guaranteed that the musicians are gonna sit in and play and jam with each other because that's just what happens. That's what happened at the Ottawa Jazz Festival. 
Lewis and Genevieve and Ray Thistlewaite and Petter 9000 and I were just kind of hanging out, a bunch of us. And my, my whole band and all of Lewis's band were all hanging out at the, the lobby bar after the gig. And there was a jazz quartet or something playing. And you know, it was kind of a jam thing. And somebody said, hey, do you want to play guitar? I said, yeah, but only if Ray could play keys and if if whatever, blah, 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 this and this. And I was like, Lewis, you want to play? He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. And then we played a couple knower tunes and it was a blast. And I pretty much know those. I've never played those songs, but I've listened to, that, to them enough where Ray turned around. He's like, yeah, it's kind of F sharp. And then it goes to the thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I know it. I, I recognize the hits. I know the, I know the song. And Lewis is a great friend. Awesome to play with. He's one of my favorite musicians on the planet right now. Papa Bear Lee asks, what musician is the best hang on the disc golf course? Well, I think it's gotta be a person with, I haven't played a lot of disc golf with a lot of other musicians that haven't been in my band. And we have a different dynamic just being our friends and whatever. But I think the type of person is one that will take the game seriously and challenge themselves and me in the game, but also be able to have great, engaging, meaningful conversation. Now, here's the kicker. At the right moments, don't come trying to talk to me about something super deep or come at me with some hot take while I'm trying to get a 60-foot putt in. Okay, I need that mental focus. So the, the right person with the right amount of engaging conversation at the right time who also respects the game. That, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of musician you want with you on the golf course. This is a great question coming from Vibhas Patil. Vibhas Patil. I find some physical discomfort in strumming fast. Are there common mistakes you see in players? Mistakes is a subjective thing when it comes to techniques in the right hand because there are so many ways that people can do it. The way that I pick single notes is not necessarily great technique. My, my right hand strumming technique is not necessarily the greatest. If you look at some of the other great rhythm players of our time, Mark Lettieri, Rob Harris, their technique is more similar to each other. It's very different than mine but we all have somewhat of a similar thing. And as far as playing fast, I think what you need to do is recognize that there's different ways that people's wrists and fast twitch muscle gets going. And sometimes it's, it's kind of that motion of the twisting of a knob. Some people, it's kind of a back and forth. Like if you were to just, if you were to set your hand flat, set your palm flat on a table. Some people, it's like, move your pinky or move your hand side to side. Some people strum that way really well. And then if you lay your hand flat on a table, make a fist and, and kind of twist like you're turning a knob or like you're opening a door knob, that's how a lot of other people can really get moving. And it's different for each person. So the common mistake that I see is some people forcing one technique when the other one is actually the most natural. So Find for you something that's, find whatever motion is most effortless. And it normally looks a little bit like the way that you write with a pencil. I have noticed that. So find what's the least tension and just develop that. Don't, don't have any tension in your hand. 
be very loose, but controlled. Uh, I'm going to skip this question. I don't like that one. Ooh, here's a good one. Seth J. Bass. How do you teach or show someone the concept of groove? Groove is a very subjective, interesting topic because some t- it's, it's one thing to teach people how to play in time and really show somebody how to play in time. But groove is very different because there's push-pull in the feel, there's push-pull in the timing, and then there's push-pull in the attacks and releases. So whenever I try to teach or show somebody the concept of groove, I could go on for hours, but the two things that I'm gonna talk about are the timing and placement and the velocity. Now, the timing and placement, where you at- when you attack the notes, that really matters. A certain type of groove, like the Minneapolis feel is very much a metronomic feel. And in a lot of ways, my thing with the Minneapolis feel is it should feel like a freight train just plowing forward. So it's very much in time, but it should feel like it's got so much forward momentum that it's almost rushing. It's like on the urge of rushing. And I think that also comes with the velocity side of things, like I was saying is having a very intense velocity with that intense timing right on the edge of rushing. That kind of is is where a lot of my fast groove thing comes from. But other other types of feels require you to feel things a little bit behind the beat or release the notes in a different way. A lot of people talk about where to hit hit the notes behind the beat, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, whatever. If everybody's doing that, it just feels like dragging. So it's like finding certain people in the band to feel grooves the same way, but some are pushing or pulling in different places. And then the other thing that's most important, not most important, the other thing that's very important that a lot of people neglect to think about is when they release their notes. So are you releasing on the and of four or the uh of four? Because those things feel different. Or are you releasing right when beat one happens? Those things are, are things to really pay attention to that can affect your groove. So the velocity of your attack and and the subdivision within that. Feels different than. Where the timing is basically the same. And I don't know, the rhythm was about the same. But the the velocities and the the feeling of something moving up and down is very different. So if it feels like it has some motion to it and it doesn't feel just so that's gonna give a different sense of groove. I I can't I if I talk any longer about that, it will be one hour and eighty minutes, which is two hours and twenty minutes for those keeping track of me talking about the groove. I have to move on or I will not stop. Uh, I'm going to skip that question. Skip this question. Ooh, this is a great question from Yusakri that's saying, which of your podcast guests were you most nervous about interviewing? Honestly, I don't get very nervous about interviewing people. I am very, (laughs) I don't know, I guess on the spectrum of, of being starstruck versus not caring, I am somewhat immune, maybe because I have a strong sense of self and a strong sense of identity and how I fit into the musical 
zeitgeist and society as a guitar player. Like the people that I'm interviewing are part of the music world that I am in and that I have an identity in. So it's not like I feel so out of place. I think where people get really nervous is when you meet somebody and it feels like you are out of place or they are out of place. Like if you meet a random celebrity on the street, it might feel jarring because you're not expecting to see them there. It's not the realm that you're used to seeing them in. For me, when I'm doing my interviews, it's music focused. I'm a musician and I'm interviewing mostly musicians. So, and especially with guitarists, like the guitar community is uh, to some degree a pretty tight knit community. And, and people, most people are paying attention to what's happening in the community and I'm a part of that community. So I feel a little more at home interviewing like this rather than like if I had to, I don't know, if I had to interview some politician or some, like some, I, I don't know, it, it would just be, it would be way different. But was I nervous interviewing anybody? A little bit. I guess Pat Metheny, kind of, because I knew so much about him and I, I studied his music for so long and uh, I just know that he doesn't do a lot of interviews. So I didn't want him to have a sour taste after doing mine. I guess maybe that was the, the one that was most nervous to answer your question in a more simple way. Adam Inouye Music asks, thoughts on the marching arts slash drum corps? I love it. I am so into drum corps and marching band. That is what really helped me understand time and understand listening with intent, okay? When I was growing up playing in marching band and drum corps, high school and college, that sort of thing, I really understood. When I hit the snare, there are seven other people next to me hitting the snare as well. And this is a loud, tightly wound up snare drum that if there is a remote sense of flam, it will be noticed. And it is, in a lot of cases, whenever I was like the center snare or the section leader, I needed to know who it was that was off. So I had to tune my ears into listening for not only was somebody ahead or behind or are we together and who was it? It has actually in some ways been a curse because sometimes like I'll, I'll just be watching or listening to something and I'll, I just, I hear mistakes and I know exactly who it was and I kind of wish I did it all the time, um, whatever. But I think that sort of thing is great because it, it teaches you to really play as a unit. It teaches you to subdivide in a different way. And for me, it, it was also like, when you're playing like that, you can't really push pull the time. You have to be playing very metronomic and that's built into the style. So that's what trained me how to play very much on the grid if I want to. This is a great question. Favorite song with singer and lyrics that you've co-written so far? I am such a huge fan of Kimbra. She is one of my favorite artists on the planet in the top three, maybe my favorite artist. That was really fun to do a song with her. And we wrote that song in a day in an Airbnb in Los Angeles, in Silver Lake. It was incredible. She is brilliant. I absolutely love everything she does. Okay, here's a good one. I am Ray Steven asks, what do you like in your in-ear mix? I like it to sound like the record, but my guitar turned up a little bit. I cannot stand it if I hear way too much of myself 
or I can't stand it. I, I would rather hear less of myself and trust my hands and fingers and brain than hear too much of myself because otherwise I start to second guess. I like hearing uh, a great album mix plus myself 10%. Um, how long before Trey is on the pod? Wolfpage is asking. I would love to have Trey on the pod. I would love to have Trey on the pod. That would be amazing. Mexican Style is asking, how did the Tim Henson collab come about? That is something that came about through Neural DSP. I have an incredible guitar plugin with Neural DSP called the Archetype Corey Wong plugin. Best clean tone plugin on the planet. I guarantee it. How about that? Come at me. Neural DSP also did an archetype Tim Henson and an archetype with Pliny where we each got to build rigs as plugins and put them out. So Neural DSP kind of coordinated that one. Oh, another product question. Will your signature Strat ever be in other colors? I don't know. I think that'd be kind of cool, but for right now, it's just in the sapphire blue transparent nitro finish. That's it. <laughs> this is a funny one. Jennifer Lee NYC asks, do your daughters like your music? That's a great question. Sometimes, yes. I'll catch them singing along or I'll catch them playing. Or if I'm writing something at home on the piano, I end up practicing or writing it, playing it over and over again. They'll sing along with it. And if I if they are singing along, just kind of humming along from the other room or because my piano's kind of in a living room, kitchen, dining room, combined open area. It's like, oh, okay, this is catchy enough where, where my daughter's singing along while she's making food or hanging out or something or reading a book. More likely dinking around with Roblox on her iPad. But uh, they like my music, but sometimes they like to act like, oh, dad, you're this, this, oh my gosh, this and that. You know, it's to be expected. Great question that I'm going to end with here is from, from Cassie R. Jones. Is there something you wish you would have focused on more as a beginning guitarist that would have helped you later? Amazing question. I am glad you asked that because that shows me that you really want to get better and find the most efficient way of getting better. Is there something I wish I would have focused on? Timing. Just understanding how to play in time. A lot of and and being honest with myself in the time. A lot of times when I was learning chords, I would go G, 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 D, 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 you know, pause to get to the next chord and not hold myself accountable. It was just, I'll take as much time as I need my fingers to get to the D chord and then I'll go. But if you keep your right hand or your strumming hand, most people's right hand, you keep your strumming hand consistent and steady in the time, you're gonna know more of what you actually need to work on for your chords. Like, oh, I'm actually taking a lot of time to get to that C chord. Why is that? Oh, E minor is actually easier to get to than C or D. Then you can really focus on that. So practicing with intention of finding where your weaknesses are is very important. For me, that was a timing thing and really being honest with myself in the time. So that would be my suggestion to practice. There's plenty of great videos out there on what you should practice. And once you're past the beginning stage, I have like five and a half hours of guitar course, guitar courses, guitar course. I have one guitar course with over five and a half hours of videos 
once you're intermediate, advanced, kind of master level, all that, from inter intermediate to master level, take my guitar course once you're comfortable on the instrument. Then there's a lot of other things that I dive into and actually show my exact practice routines that I still use to this day and have learned through college and all that. But as a beginning guitarist, get your timing right. And don't forget, have fun. Taking it back to earlier questions. Have some fun out there, everybody. Don't forget, music is supposed to be fun. Music is a way to build community. Music is a way to spark emotion in yourself and for other people. So with that being said, thanks for hanging out. You are not going to believe who I got next week. You're not going to believe it. So I'm just going to tell you, Derek Trucks is on the podcast. Oh, Derek Trucks. That's right. He's with us next week. I'm super stoked. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.